This is Your Liturgical Bible, a Bible study series from Enacting the Kingdom. We believe that through community, ritual, and liturgy, the story of the Bible comes to life. Join Father Jeffrey and I as we learn to express the beauty of the biblical story together. Today we're going to be talking about life after death, Father Jeffrey, how the scriptures talk about what it means that life comes after death. And actually, when I was thinking about the questions that I would ask you in this episode, you know, relative to how the Bible talks about life after death, one thing that I was reminded of is one of our very first episodes that we ever recorded of Enacting the Kingdom when we were talking about Psalm 103, which is a, a, a hymn of praise of creation. And one of the things that we observed is actually life comes after death, right? That, you know, uh, the animals, they die and return to the dust. And then God's, and then after that, God sends forth his spirit and they are created and he renews the face of the earth. So this pattern of death and then life is one of these fundamental patterns in the scriptures. And uh, so that's what we're going to explore today, Father Jeffrey, life after death. You know, my brain goes to things like, uh, you know, th- those big patterns like Noah's Ark, right? This this renewing of the face of the earth. It also goes to Jonah who descends into the depths of the sea and even despairs of life itself. Um, and then it goes into, of course, Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And then finally to uh, the Apostle Paul, when he writes what it means to be baptized, is this life after death. So I think that'll be the mini journey we'll go on today, Father Jeffrey, if that works for you. And you can take us anywhere else that you think might be useful. Well, that's already quite a bit for half an hour. So <laughs> we, 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 why don't we stop this there here. and see where we're, we end up? We're pros at this now, you know, we'll uh, <laughs> conquer all of it. Well, maybe, okay, let's start with Noah. So, you know, if you if you were to use the phrase life after death, we might start thinking first about maybe the stories of people rising from the dead or something like that. We have those in the Old Testament. We have those in the New. But I think that there's something really profoundly important about starting with these sort of grander narratives. Um, Noah's Ark, right? This remnant is rescued through the waters of, of death. So could, I'd love to hear a little bit about... Um, Maybe the role of that symbol of water, which we have talked about, but then how uh, how that's related to death and life coming out of that again in these grander narratives. So like Noah's Ark, am I, is my brain right to go there when contemplating that topic of life after death? I would say so, but here's the thing. I don't think most people's brains go there, most Christians, mm. and that's mm. the problem. Because when we talk about something like life after death, Typically, what people think of is what happens to my soul uh, after the body dies, right? So kind of picturing some kind of uh, realm that is no longer spatio-temporal, you know, no longer part of the creation that we've lived in and so forth. And, you know, what happens to us beyond that? And people picture all kinds and manners of things. And, And sadly, a lot of Christianity has been reduced to what are the things I need to do in order to assure that my soul that is immortal somehow is going to be in a good place rather than a bad place after I die, right? But by grounding us in a narrative, grounding us in the scriptures full stop, but grounding us in a place like Noah's Ark and the story of the flood is to bring us back to actually what are the scriptural ways of thinking about this, which is to do with creation and new creation, Right, because what we have in the story of of Noah and the flood is, of course, a whole parallel, really, for what had already taken place in the earlier chapters of Genesis with the creation narratives. Right, you get 
the darkness again covering the earth, you know, with the dark rain clouds. You get the, the, the dry land that is going to eventually appear amidst all the watery chaos and so forth. You get the vegetation that comes forth and you get God's command to Noah after leaving the ark to go out and be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, just as he had told the first human beings uh, in the creation narrative. So clearly what's going on here is a new creation, right? This is a rebooting of the system. And uh, when we think about ongoing life in terms of, you know, what happens to us beyond this current life, this current age, we need to be thinking in terms of creation and new creation. And we center on something like the resurrection of Christ. It's not about him doing some sort of saving act in order to get us to some kind of permanent reality for our immortal souls, but rather it's part of this ongoing story in the scriptures of creation and ongoing creation and new creation, which is articulated in all these different ways, including that psalm you mentioned, right? So it's not just simply the cycle of life, right? The Or the circle of life as, you know, certain film would have it and, and the song from it, but it's about the fact that God is still at work in creation. The creation is not done. Creation is not complete. That's what Noah and the flood tells us. That's what all of these resurrection accounts will ultimately uh, be about in terms of initiating and continuing God's ongoing work of perfecting the world and his participation in it, his, his presence in it, and our participation in his own life. So would you say for us Orthodox Christians that, you know, that that concept of death and then life is synonymous with the concepts of creation and new creation. Is that what I'm hearing you saying? That's exactly what I'm saying, that this connects us to all of those biblical stories, which are you know, evoking that theme. You won't find the idea of an immortal soul that has to kind of escape creation, escape the, the mortal body in order to live, you know, perpetually somewhere else in some disembodied state. That's, that's a pagan Greek philosophical and religious idea. It has absolutely nothing to do with the scriptures or the New Testament or indeed any of the stories that are contained therein. So one of the things, so we see a lot of these, for lack of a better word, communal stories, right? When we think about death and then life, from our context, when we think of that concept, death and life, we think of our individual selves. But when we think of creation and new creation, I think it's easier to see those stories of Noah, the stories of the exodus of the people of Israel as um, expressing that idea of new creation, right? Because new creation is is this communal act, right? If there's a new creation, well, guess what? Your neighbor is also going to be part of that too, in some ways. And and the trees are going to be part of that. And your pet is going to be part of that. And you're going to be part of that. And um, you're, the world that you're living in is all going to be part of that. So it kind of takes, I'm finding that construing or understanding that the concept of life after death is not, uh, it, it expands from just being an individualistic thing to being a communal thing when we do understand it to be about creation and new creation. And then it sort of makes sense to me that these larger stories, um, you know, Noah's Ark and the Exodus are actually sort of applied to our individual selves too, don't they? Like we, we get to participate in that story through that. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely thinking out loud here, Father Jeffrey, trying to, um, trying to figure out how we all think about this, but it's, it's not to say it's not individual, right? Like we, we, as 
unique person still get to participate in this thing and, and our salvation matters. But at the same time, it's this universal thing. It's a cosmic thing. It's new creation that we get to participate in with those around us. Um, I guess this that's the tension between the kind of the individualistic side of faith and the communal side of faith, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's, it's not surprising that in an era you know, which has now been going on for some considerable number of centuries where the individual is prized above all else, where, you know, everyone is kind of out for themselves and you know, only thinking about themselves that, that this idea of heaven as an escape for one's soul to some other place, you know, comes to be the dominant way that people think of, of the faith, even though it's a kind of utter contradiction, you know, of it to, to think in terms of creation and new creation and in these scriptural terms is precisely, as you say, to, you know, value every other person who's part of what God's creational purposes are. And it not only every other person, but every aspect of creation, everything matters, you know, in that great um, sort of, exposition of what resurrection is all about that that St. Paul, um, you know, talks about in the 15th chapter of his first epistle to uh, the Corinthians. He goes on and on about, you know, the, the resurrection of Christ being the first fruits of this new creation and, and you know, how different the new creation is going to be from creation, you know, what was fleshly becomes spiritual and and so forth. But at the end of this great big, you know, invocation of the beauty of what is coming in this new world that God is bringing into being the new heaven and the new earth. He ends with, you know, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. In other words, everything matters, right? Whereas if you're just thinking about escape, then all that matters is, am I doing the right things? Am I putting enough of a tally on the one side of the ledger rather than the other so that God can choose me to go and be in that other place. Whereas thinking in terms of the scriptures, thinking in terms of resurrection, thinking in terms of the rescue and renewal of the whole of the heavens and the earth is, as St. Paul says, that our labor is not in vain. In other words, everything we do matters. You know, uh, planting a tree matters. There's that beautiful image that comes from rabbinic tradition where uh, if somebody's busy planting a tree and they're told that the Messiah has come, they should finish planting the tree <laughs> and then go <laughs> and, and, and see the, the, the Messiah. So it, it indicates just how darned important it is that we actually get doing God's work of you know, renew and participating in, in his work of renewing creation through the Holy Spirit that we are, you know, active in all parts of the world, bringing God's righteousness, his justice, you know, looking after creation, looking after one another, everything matters. You're not just looking to yourself and attending to some kind of spiritual condition that you might have, but that the whole world matters because this is what God is doing. Because in the end, it's not uh, that God creates new heavens and new earth, but he renews heaven and earth, right? He makes not new things, but all things new in the phrase that, that comes from the book of Revelation. And so what we need to understand, as St. Paul says, is that we, if we are steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, as he says at the end of this chapter about resurrection, our labor is not in vain. So every other person matters. Every other part of creation matters. That's the image that we are to, to take from all of these stories of renewal and recreation and new creation from the scripture. 
If you haven't yet become a patron of Enacting the Kingdom over on Patreon, you're only getting a small fraction of everything we're up to. When you become a patron, for as little as $3 a month, you'll get immediate access to over 100 Patreon-exclusive episodes, weekly new releases, private live streams, and Patreon community events like Bible studies. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. Recently, at least at the time of this recording, I have just come back from a month away uh, at St. Jean to do some basic, a condensed basic training course for military chaplaincy. But in the meantime, I actually, I sent my wife to live with her parents in Winnipeg for that month so that she would have some support, especially with our new daughter, Ginny, being born. And when I came back from basic training, I had about four nights, so like five days before my wife came back. And sorry, I'm I'm getting somewhere with this metaphor here. (laughs) Um, I'm not just talking about myself. And, uh, you know, as you know, I'm after that time, a month of intense training and and discipline, you come home and you're like, well, I'm going to order in every day. I'm going to like not clean up and everything like that. And if I thought, okay, when my wife comes, she's going to take me away and we're going to go and live somewhere else now. I would not really care that much about what was going on in this house. But knowing that, oh, one day she is going to walk in this door and make her abode here. I, you know what? I had to, I had to clean the house before she came home, right? I had to care about what our home looked like. I had to uh, uh, clean it up and take care of it. Um, and to me, that seems like a little bit of a, a, a quaint metaphor for, I think, the ways that different Christians <laughs> having, have, have thought about what it means to take care of the world vis-a-vis, will God come and take us away from the world? Well, therefore, we don't actually have to care for it, right? Or we can care for it less or not worry too much about the stuff that goes on here. Or is God going to come and make his home here? And therefore, right. everything we do, even in this life, is already a participation in that new creation. Absolutely. Now that is the most beautiful <laughs> expression of that of that thought. You know, absolutely you were steadfast, immovable and always excelling in the work of the Lord because you knew. <laughs> I knew she was coming and it was soon. It was soon. That's right. Um no that's marvelous. I I like that. Well, you can um, steal it. <laughs> Uh, well, let's go to another place in scripture. Uh, let's go to the the story of Jonah. So Jonah is this prophet. He gets called by God to go give some news to the Ninevites who are a non-Jewish people. And he decides to go the exact opposite direction, gets in a boat, tries to go to the other side of the world. And then the boat is capsized, uh, well, not capsized. There's a storm. He's thrown off the boat and he gets swallowed by a whale. So being swallowed by a sea beast going to the bottom of the ocean is definitely this image of, of death. Like you can't be further away from life when you're at the bottom of the ocean. I mean, metaphorically, we know biologically that the ocean is actually where most life exists, but we're dealing with the, uh, the biblical imagination here. So what I thought I would do, Father Jeffrey, is read kind of the first half of it, of, of this song that he sings while he's in the pit, while he's in the, the mouth of the monster. And then... We'll chat about it, and then I'll read the second half. Does that make sense? Yep. 
Okay. So Jonah, he's really depressed and he's really sad and he's in the belly of death itself, metaphorically speaking, at the bottom of the ocean. And he says, I called to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. So pretty depressing there, Father Jeffrey. It really seems this is an image of death, isn't it? Well, yeah, and you've said a couple of times metaphorically, but you could push that a little bit and say, you know, did he maybe not actually die? Because the imagery there is just, it is all all the imagery that is used in the scriptures when it comes to somebody actually dying, right? To be in Sheol, I mean, you could say that metaphorically, I suppose, but that is to have died, right? To, to, have, to be in the pit is a way of expressing death in the Hebrew scriptures. The, the idea that his soul was fainting, the soul is the life force, right? The nefesh that, that God plants in us. It's not the pagan soul where the, you know, the real person, you know, resides and so forth. This is a sense that God breathes life, you know, as he does into the first man, Adam, and animates, you know, clay. And so that, that faints within, within Jonah. So he's, either dead or very, very close to death at this point, right? And and so this is what makes this a really, really powerful symbol and foreshadowing that, of course, Jesus himself will refer to, right? Then he says, I will give you no sign other than the sign of Jonah when people challenge him to, to kind of prove who he is and, and so forth. And so th- this... Uh, it's, I think goes beyond simple metaphor here. We are very nearly, uh, you know, looking at a real death and resurrection, and we'll come to the resurrection bit in just a moment. Right. Yeah. And, and then we have the switch in this song that he sings, and it begins with the word "yet," right, which is a beautiful word to to switch on. He says, "Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple." Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. And then we enter back into the narrative where it says, then the Lord spoke to the fish and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. And God says to Jonah, arise, right? In Hebrew, Mm -hmm. kum which is the word which is used for resurrection. Mm. So, mm. It, it, I mean, it's when, when Jesus comes to, you know, the, the, the daughter of, of, of Jairus and says, you know, Talitha kum, you know, uh, in, in the Aramaic or Hebrew is you know, rise up, be resurrected. And to, even today, you know, when we say in both Arabic and, and Hebrew, you know, Christ is risen. So in Hebrew, Hamashiach kam. Haken come right? Mm-hmm. So that, that word, so the word here that the Lord uses to Jonah is be resurrected, right? And so it, it's as close to a death and a resurrection as you can possibly uh, imagine here. And obviously Jonah is speaking throughout. So that's where maybe you get some sense that this is just profoundly uh, metaphorical in a deep way. But of course, there's some sense in which the Hebrews understood that in Sheol, in the pit, 
you know, there was some sort of kind of ongoing um, consciousness or, or, or awareness, right? Because it, it talks often about what they are or are not able to do in the pit or in Sheol and, and so forth. And notice, you know, when the apostles talk about the resurrection uh, of Jesus, they talk about, you know, God not allowing him to see corruption in the pit, right? In in Sheol. And so there's all this language is it kind of overlaps and interlocks. And, and I say it centers on what Jesus himself says, you know, to those who challenged him to, to give signs and wonders. He says, I will give you no sign other than the sign uh, of Jonah, who of course is three days in the tomb, in the pit, in Sheol, and then rises again at the command of, uh, of God. So, it, I mean, the, the as a, symbol as a foreshadowing of what the messiah christ himself comes you know to do this is uh, you know as profound as you get it's no accident that we read this amongst other you know accounts of of death and resurrection and new creation on holy saturday with those 15 old testament readings right so we read the whole of the book of jonah it's always fun to say the reading is the book of jonah yeah (laughs) yeah the whole thing we get the whole thing so anyway i just it, it really is profoundly resurrectional here. And you know, to some extent, you know, you wonder in the gospels where, you know, it says that, you know, the Messiah had to come and fulfill what was written in the scriptures, you know, to, to, to rise again after three days. Right. Um, and St. Paul talks about the same thing that this is in fulfillment, you know, or according to the scriptures. Well, where is that right in, um, in the scriptures, there's no reference to three days. Uh, there's maybe, you know, kind of quasi reference to Hosea chapter six, after two days, he will revive us on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. But that's kind of referring to the national Israel in that sense. But where the three days comes from Jonah, right? It's, it's, it's this. And so this profound symbol of God triumphing over the pit and Sheol, which is, of course, a foreshadowing of Christ's harrowing of hell and emptying death of its power and rising from, from the dead in this, in what is not just a, you know, a rescue mission, you know, for the human soul, but a whole inauguration of a new creation, as we've been saying. If you are getting value from this podcast, please consider writing a short, positive five-star review on your podcast app. And even though we are social media free, there is still a place you can keep up to date with Enacting the Kingdom. You can join the email list by going to enactingthekingdom.com. And these patterns, these stories, they don't just exist as narratives on the page right we embody them in our liturgies we just like we do all these other patterns that we've explored we bring them forth we enact them liturgically and the one of the things we do is baptism right we descend like jonah into the waters and we come back up just like israel through uh, escaping from egypt go into the waters and they come back up just like israel growing into the promised land they go down into the waters and they come back up and just like jesus christ who goes into his baptism goes into the waters and comes back up and then ultimately you have jesus christ who kind of takes that pattern of jonah which is as you mentioned perhaps the closest you get to an actual death and an actual resurrection you get the real thing in in the person of Christ who descends literally into death itself to the bottom and then is resurrected from, from there. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the actual resurrection of Jesus in another episode. Um, But for the rest of our episode today, 
it'd be nice to contemplate a little bit about that ritual act of baptism, going down into that water and then being raised up again from that, um, fr- fr- from that death, so to speak. It's a life after death. You know, when we think about when do we when do we get life after death? Well, it would be at our baptism, isn't it? That's right. Um, and I mean, Romans chapter six spells this out absolutely, you know, clearly, right? We have, we were buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we also might walk in what? In newness of life. So there's that new Mm. creation Mm -hmm. again, right? It's, it's spelled out so, so clearly, you know, for us there. And this is the, the key thing. We're not just looking at, you know, Noah and Jonah and other, you know, kind of foreshadowings of the resurrection of Christ or even reading the Gospels themselves just to kind of put information into our heads. And if we think the right things, then again, we're, we're on that right page and God will whisk us off to the right place after we die. That's not the point. The point is these are narrative stories that we enter into and enact. And how do we do that? We do that in liturgy and in sacrament. And we do that by, in this case, in joining ourselves, uniting ourselves to Christ in death and in resurrection, right? So St. Paul goes on, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And that's this resurrection into new creation and to participate here and now already in that fullness of life that will come, you know, on, on the return of the Lord, when God is all in all, when all things in heaven and on earth have been wrapped up in Christ, as St. Paul says, right? And so, we need to essentially through the ritual sacramental act of our baptism already die to the passing away age and already live by rising out of that into that that newness of life of of new creation and that's the foundation for what we said before about then everything you do is not in vain if you live according to the life of the age to come all those acts of love, of self-sacrifice, of compassion, of justice, of righteousness, of care for others and for creation, not one of those will be in vain, St. Paul says. You know, every part of that you will see when that new heaven and new earth descend, you know, from, uh, you know, from God and all things are wrapped up into God, then all the parts that we've played, right, in that newness of life, in that resurrection life, in that new creation, they'll all be there. It's not like they were just simply the things we did to get through to something else. They are part and parcel of, of that newness you know, of life. We have been freed from the corruption of creation, the corruption of our, of our human nature, of the old creation, and made to be partakers in that newness of life by our baptism. So it, it, it's all wrapped up you know, together as this concrete reality that we, we, we participate and share in, and therefore everything matters. I remember being asked one time by certain Protestant friends if if we believe that baptism saves you, right? Because there's this idea in certain churches where it's not an act of salvation, it's just an outward expression of membership of the local church community. And construed in the way that we have in this in the past 25 minutes, of course it saves you. It, it, it's a participation in that ultimate salvation. It's you know, I think that that question that I received from from my friend definitely has more of that idea of the individual. Do you know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven or something like exactly. that, that? That kind of that kind of 
understanding of what's going on here. But it's really, really shallow and, and not biblically based. You know, it's not, it's, it, it's like a, there's a misunderstanding of the whole thrust of the narrative of scripture. And yeah. it seems to me that this, the, the, the Orthodox ritual expression of baptism that going down and coming out again is, is our participation in all of these narratives all at once. This, it's symbolic in the sense of bringing together all of these realities into one. And what, and one of the words that we use to express what's happening is salvation itself, right? New creation is maybe another synonym for salvation. Well, that's just it. You know, when somebody says, it does baptism save you? I mean, you, you, you have to query not the baptism part so much as the saving part. You know, what do you even mean by that? You know, do you mean, does it get you on the, the right side of, of, of the equation so that you will go to heaven when you die? I mean, if that's what you're asking, you're asking a question about a different religion, right? Or sadly, it's what you right, know, a lot right. of Christians have kind of flattened, you know, the, the thing into. But when St. Paul is talking about this, and I said, Romans chapter six, he goes on to say, you know, if, if you've done this, if you united yourself to the death and resurrection of Christ, he says, no longer present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. That's what salvation looks like. You've been brought from death to life, and you've been brought from unrighteousness to righteousness. And what is righteousness? It's the fullness of God's, you know, uh, creational plan, a shalom for all of heaven and earth, the, the way that all, all things dwell together in unity and peace and harmony and joy and love. And you know, that's what salvation is about. If we're talking about that, then the question is, how are we living that out, right? Because it's possible to go through even a, a rich liturgical sacramental service like baptism in the Orthodox Church and not to have this, you know, ensue. Right? It's possible to to do this only as a, a ritual um, action without it having real effect. I mean, the fathers and you know all of the teachers of of, of the faith and the scriptures themselves warn again and again about just doing things you know casually or or you know just in, in one dimension and not in the fullness you know of life. And what we need to do is really take this seriously and to live out our baptisms. It's one of the, the, the kind of most profound ways of thinking about what our Christian life is, is to return again and again to the full meaning of baptism, because it really does transfer us from the old Adam to the new, from the present age to the age to come, from, as we said here, from right, unrighteousness to righteousness, from, from death to life. If we are truly living that, how different would our lives be? And then nobody would even question what salvation is, because they would see it. They would see that life of the new creation already at work in us, in our communities, and in creation all around us. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.